I've said it before. Well, maybe not to you people, but I was born at the wrong time. I should have been the age I am, 57, by the way, back in the late 50s and 60s, when smoking and drinking were not only accepted, but, damn it, encouraged, in fact. Mini bars and offices, lucky strikes from a vending machine, a fresh shirt and a desk drawer if you needed it. And it wasn't a question of if you should wear a suit, but more a question of which suit you were going to wear when you went out. And man, the singers... The crooners, Frank, Dean, Sammy, Vic Damone, Bobby Darren, Nat King Cole, the only guy who I don't mind saying all three names for. Well, maybe a couple of them. James Earl Jones is another one, and maybe Francis Scott Key. That's my uh, my patriotic nod, I, I guess. I, I like their swagger. I like their style. Bullshit accepted once but seldom tolerated past the point of said bullshit. Capiche? Now be on your way and bartender. Another round if you please. I can see the bottom of my glass and that was not the plan. Salute and chin don. I'm Dino Tripotis and welcome to Whiskey Business, a podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. And the guest bottle tonight, Jack Daniels Single Barrel. Jack. Frank Sinatra's favorite, not necessarily the single barrel. He liked the uh, Jack Daniels green label. But I cranked it up a notch with the single barrel for my guest who also has the same kinship with those days and actually has paid his own homage to them with his latest music release. So please, everybody, welcome singer, songwriter, and all-around good guy, John Schwab. Everybody, Schwabby! Hey, man. Those of you you listening in Columbus, Ohio, where we broadcast from, are very familiar with John Schwab. Those of you uh, who are country rock fans may also know him from the group McGuffey Lane. We're going to talk about it all tonight, or at least as much as we can. So, yeah, man, great to have you. You are, for me, a coup as far as a guest. Oh, man, you're too nice, Dino. Thank you very much. You know, I feel the same way you do. I, I used to stay up to see Johnny Carson in the early 60s to see those guys sitting on the desk, and, right. I, and I was reading all the books. I wanted to, I wanted to be in Vegas to see the Rat Pack. That was, you know, I'm, I'm a, you're right. We 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 have that kinship. Yeah, man. we do. Wouldn't yeah. you have loved to have been in Vegas back then when they were performing at the Sands and to get dressed up and, and put on the suit and the tie and and spiff the Mater D a little something so you could get a a table up close. Oh man, you know, to see to see the boys do their thing. You know, and I've said that same thing many times in my life. And it's funny because when we first started, when I first started playing, uh, my first band that was like in the early '70s that played lounges, we were we had uh, custom made suits, the tailor made suits. <laughs> we wore, and you know, we were, you know, we were idiosyncratic for the times because, you know, it was it was the hippies and 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 all that stuff and the you know flower power. We're wearing suits and ties and you know playing in, in hotels and stuff, but you know we. And in, in those days, I wouldn't go to the top steakhouse without wearing a suit right. and tie. Well, unheard of. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Would never happen. No. Not at all. But, um, I mean, you're known for uh, country, country rock, but you have this this affection for Frank Sinatra. And musically, we're going to talk about all the music, but I wanted to focus tonight, if I could please, because... 
Uh, we both love Frank Sinatra. And you just put out a new CD called One More for the Road, which is um, uh, covers of some of your f- favorite uh, Frank Sinatra songs. Yes. And not all Frank Sinatra songs. There's some other ones on here, too, including, and we'll play it a little bit later on in the podcast, uh, one that you wrote that's uh, kind of your your uh, your contribution to that type of music. Yeah, well, th- thank you. I uh, I got, shoe I got baby, a story we'll get to shoe that. baby a little okay, bit yeah. later. But you know, what? I want to know. Well, first of all, we're going to tell stories. Why? How'd you? How'd you? How'd you get hooked up with Frank? I mean, what what led you down the path to Frank? Because you look at you and you see the, everybody gets a certain uh, image of John Schwab, big guy, country music, great songs. But everybody kind of thinks country and rock. They don't look at you and go Sinatra. Right, right. My my mom was a uh, like my first original musical influence. She sang all the time in the house. And, uh, you know, I, I started listening to, you know, WCOL, um, the, the 1230 WCOL, which was playing the top 40 and, and Monster Mash was a hit, you know, and I wanted that kind of, that kind of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, so I went to Lazarus, the sixth floor where the record store was with my mom, you know, I, I was in the sixth grade or something, you know, and I wanted to buy the, the song, the album, the Monster Mash. And she talked me out of it, talked me into buying this Swing and Sinatra. I have Swing and Sinatra. I have the album. The I have the actual album and the CD, but I have yeah. the the LP. Yeah, so it was on. From it was there, on from there. Know, on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, but I liked all kind of music when I was a kid. I used to stand in front of, you know, I was I, I was very much a loner as a kid. I was spent a lot of time in my room by myself, uh, and I would pretend like I was leading the band. I listened to Sousa marches for God's sakes. I mean, I I. Hip, I'm not, you know. I mean, I listen to Sousa marches. But, and you know. yet, you kind of are, because <laughs> yeah. when, you know, maybe you're looked upon as, at, at that age, liking Frank Sinatra and John Philip Sousa marches is strange. But, you know, today, you, you'd be considered hip and eclectic. Yeah. Right? Okay. I, 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 I say that because I, I want company, <laughs> because that was me. I was listening to Sinatra I, ever since, you know, high school. And before that, even and just uh, I don't know what it was about singers. Maybe it was because you know you could hear the lyrics, and the, the lyrics actually uh, meant as much as the music. I mean, the the combination of the two uh, put together told a story. Um, uh, one of the songs you have on here is uh, in the wee small hours of the morning, which is uh, also from that particular album, which was I think. They consider that album to be, I think, Sinatra's first. Uh, it was the first album of its kind that actually had a theme. It, it was thematic. Well, there was there was an album he did called We Small Right, Hours. and that's the album I'm talking okay. about. Yeah, where where all the songs, you know, had a message, and they were all somehow linked together into um, whatever emotion they were trying to evoke at that time. And whenever I'm, man, whenever I'm home alone and I need to kind of drown the sorrows a little bit. I go to that's my go to yeah. Sinatra album when I want a pity party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh you've but got it's, it, but it's it's a good pity party. I mean it's it's a good feeling. I mean it 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 just evokes that whole atmospheric thing of of what you imagine. I mean him sitting in a in a bar, you know, with smoke coming out you know, from his cigarette and and a guy sitting there at the piano. It just I love that feel. Well, let's give a listen to some of that feel. Here's a little bit of John Schwab in the wee small hours of the morning from the CD, One More for the Road. (laughs) 
In the wee small hours of the morning While the whole wide world is fast asleep You lie awake and think about the girl But never, ever think of counting sheep When your lonely heart has learned its lesson You'd be hers if only she would call In the wee small hours of the morning That's the time you miss her most of all Oh, that's nice, Johnny. Oh, man. That's yeah. nice. I like your take on it, man. <laughs> I like you. your take, and I love the arrangements uh, on, on this CD, too. They're, they're, uh, they're, 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 they're stripped down. It's not the big, lush orchestra thing. It's kind of Well, simple. yeah, I didn't want to do a, a, you know, like a tribute album. You know, I, I, it wasn't a tribute. I, I wanted to try to do a sound like I wanted to make the songs my own. Mm-hmm. And, um, and consequently, we used a lot of instrumentation that, I do use in McGuffey Lane, like a lot of acoustic instruments. You know, uh, we use mandolin. We use, you know, which is, I don't think, probably ever on any Frank album. Maybe, maybe not. But, uh, and, and then we use the Toots Steelman type of uh, chromatic harmonica ensemble, which you heard in there, which, which you know, I, I, I wanted to make it my own. You know? And then the voice. And I the mean, voice. <laughs> and, you know, and that's, and that's a voice. And, and and take this the right way. I mean, that's a voice that's been seasoned through the years <laughs> with uh, with with booze and, and and smoke from clubs. Yeah. And, and oh yeah. It, but it resonates, man. It really resonates in a Thank beautiful you. way. That's good stuff. When did you start performing? At, at what age did you start performing? When did you sing? When did you play an instrument for the first time? Yeah, you know, I I uh, I had some bongos when I was in like, you know, uh, elementary school. Bongos. Bongos. Yeah, I know what bongos are, but why bongos? I don't know. I I, I wanted. I wanted. You can't see it, folks, but he actually started playing the bongos like he had to freaking explain it to me. Like bongos, you familiar with these are? Yeah, I know what bongos are. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to play the drums, you know, and so I I, I took a drum lesson in the fourth or fifth grade. But they didn't give me a drum. They gave me this little rubber pad. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted me to beat on the rubber. That wasn't any fun. I wanted to. That's how you learn. Though. I wanted to hit that drum, I man, know. and so. Uh, so I got some bongos, and I'm playing the bongos, and some guy, I was in my room, and the windows were open, because there wasn't any air conditioning back in those days. Well, there was somewhere, not in my house, and uh, the, the, the guy down the street heard me and said, hey, man, I got a guitar. You want to start a band? <laughs> <laughs> it was that easy back then. So that was in elementary school, but I, then, I, I mean, I, we had a couple little bands in the seventh grade and eighth grade. What was the name of the band? The first band was called the Inflictions. Uh, the Afflictions or the in, in, infliction, Inflictions? Inflictions. Inflictions, which we didn't even know what it meant. We just, <laughs> <laughs> and then my mom or somebody's mom got mad about it and said we had to change it. So we changed it to Danny and the Continentals because our, <laughs> our, our lead singer was Danny. <laughs> but Danny's, Danny wasn't really a— <laughs> The Continentals. <laughs> Danny, Danny wasn't really the greatest singer, but uh, so he, he kind of got fired from the band— and then you Joe, fired Danny? Yeah, we fired Danny you from fired Danny. The le- you fired the namesake <laughs> of the band? Yeah. And then we got a guy named Joey 
to be uh, the lead singer, but we didn't change the name of the band. It was still Danny the, the Continental, but Joey was the lead singer. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, the, oh, the, trial, the trials and tribulations of show business at such a young age. Uh, whatever happened to Danny? Did he get another band? Yeah, I, I think he works at Nationwide Insurance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So your first professional gigs, did you get paid when you guys were we, in the we, we played. Grade? We played a party, uh, uh-huh. uh, a school party. We you all, played guitar? I played guitar. So you taught? Were you self-taught on guitar? So, totally self-taught, okay. and uh, we got paid four dollars. It was cool. a it was a party, you know, a school party, right? And that, and that's what started happening. We played at all these little parties and stuff, you know. And then we our our first big gig was a, a used car lot on Cleveland Avenue called Travis Used Auto Sales. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. And this is in the seventh grade. And we had to play on top of a used car. They built a little stage on top of a used car. And we played for eight hours. But we got $25, so we made five bucks a whoa, piece. Whoa, did you have enough music to play for eight hours? No, no. We repeated. <laughs> we didn't have enough music to play one hour. <laughs> <laughs> we repeated everything eight times. Uh, and it seems like whenever you're young like that and and you have a band, uh, most of the stuff you do is terrible, but there's always like one song you all agree that you that you guys freaking you nail it. What was your what was the song that you guys thought you did really well? Well, the one that really comes to mind, I think it was in when when we got to the eighth grade, was "Like a Rolling Stone," uh-huh. "Like a Rolling Stone" by Bob Dylan. I remember I memorized every word of it. You know, you all just, four were, verses. And I was, you sang on that. One I sang too? on that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. It's you know what the, uh, as the as we continue to talk, uh, I am noticing parallels in our life i was actually in a high school band as well but we were a a greek uh american band we would play greek music and Amer- you would do a set of greek music and then a set of american music and you would play baptisms and weddings and so forth and we started that band in in high school my junior senior year mm-hmm. and continued it on into college we were called Dopeda. Oh, I can't even say yeah. that. I'm not even going to try. Translated into English, I think it means the fine young lads. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. So with the fine young lads. That's what you lads, think. That's what I think it meant, you know, for all I know. What so, instrument, Dina? We never know this about you. I, I, well, I was going to get to that a little bit later, but in all the right. band, at, in that particular band, I did not play an instrument. I just sang. I was the lead uh. singer in that band. And, uh, and, and there was, I, I left the band. Yeah. At one point. <laughs> you guys aren't good enough for me. Well, I left the band when I was in college. Not to go well, You're single. a good crooner, too. I mean, I've heard you croon at, at the uh, Christmas uh, yeah, shows. Man. I can carry a tune, you know, if necessary. And you can sell a song. Yeah. It's, uh, I can, yeah. I can, yeah. And that's part of it, selling it. Absolutely. Man. Let's talk about uh, 1972, McGuffey Lane. You know, a lot of people uh, associate you as well as they should with with McGuffey Lane. I mean, you do great stuff on your own, but I remember McGuffey Lane. McGuffey Lane was the band that I waited out in front of Zachariah's Red Eye Saloon to come in and go you see. Yeah. Wait, see, we've never talked about this. No, I, didn't, I didn't realize you were I going. went to school and I came to Ohio State in 1977 where you guys were yeah. just uh, uh, on fire. Well, see, I didn't join McGuffey Lane until 77. I did the lounge band thing before that in, in the early 70s and the— and then I did a folk duo for a while, but and I had decided I'd had enough of bands, mm-hmm. and I was not gonna and I was not gonna play in bands anymore. And I I got this gig at uh, the Castle, which became Zacharias right. Saloon, and I was playing solo, opening up for McGuffey Lane. Interesting. In I this, did not now see. I didn't know that. That was in the summer of '76, and then you know every night like Steve would jump up and sing a song with me, or and then teams would come up and play a little harmonica and. Before you knew it, the whole band was up there playing with me, too. And then they asked me to join the band, and I joined in, the, in January of 77. 
So, yeah, those were great uh Fun. It was a, just a, so were you part of that uh, when the when the band put out their first, they put their first album out by themselves on their own yes, label? Yes, were you we, part of the band at oh that yeah, point? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That and was that, 1980. What what happened back in those days is that Atlantic Records, all the re- record labels, there was no sound scan back then, you know? Right. So all the record labels called out to all the, the record store. They had people calling every little record store all across, you know, everywhere, and they asked, were asking, uh, who's number one? Kept her in McGuffey Lane. They'd never heard of us, and it was Atlantic. Then had Emotional Rescue by the Stones out. They said, "Well, actually, they were asking them, what's one of the Stones? Number two. What's number one? McGuffey Lane. McGuffey Lane. Yeah. And after they heard that for about two weeks in a row, they flew out. The, the president flew out to a gig we were playing with Poco in Dayton, and basically signed us on the spot. Educate <laughs> me a little bit. They they sign you because of what you're doing in this particular market, and you're selling records. Did they also like your sound? Did they, oh, did they like what you guys were doing, yeah. musically speaking? Yeah. Because it seems to me, if I if I if I look over the history, it seems like okay, uh, we're gonna try to fix something now that ain't broke. And it seemed like they wanted you guys to go more to a a, a pop country type of thing as opposed to staying to your roots. Yeah, man. And the thing was, they did. That, we were playing a long time loving you at a uh, thing before the president came out. They sent somebody out, and she. Uh, the girl that was there was like a record rep or something. She called her on the phone, like, you know, from a payphone to back of the room. Mm-hmm. and played this, well, a long time loving you was playing for, for the president. And that's what really got her out there. So they did. But the problem is we sold our soul. to the, We just wanted a record deal. Oh, of course. You know? Why wouldn't you, man? You guys are young. I mean, the, the music business, even back then, it's tough to break into. Yeah. And so you, you got a shot. You're on a major label. So you guys did it. You 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 sold your souls. Is that what you're saying? I, I feel on, on some level. It, it, in retrospect, I feel we did because then the second album was like, it, I mean, here we are, a band that made our bones on the Ohio State campus. Mm-hmm. I mean, this should have been the first red flag. They sent us to a studio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, to record our second album. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, what, we, the, the, the signs oh, were all there, man. man. Oh, yeah. you're just now, yeah, you're just praying for bad mojo yeah. now. Oh my God, recording in Ann Arbor. And then, they, you know, we, we had all these little you know, country-type amps uh-huh. and everything, and the producer immediately tells us to go out and buy these big marshals and stuff. And, and, and it was just, it just got, it kind of, it just, you know, it, it, it wasn't. Uh, and then it wasn't I, you guys. No. And, and we got, you know. Do you think now, in, in, in hindsight, if you would have stuck to your guns? When I can understand, you know, you got all these suits making all these decisions and throwing this money at you and saying this is how it's going to be if you want to be on our label. I, I see how you cave. You know, you yeah. want to make music and you want to be popular and you want people to hear your music. What do you think if you would have stuck to your guns, what would have happened? You think they would have? Because they ended, up, they ended up dumping you anyway, right? Yeah. No, okay. we, we did four albums for them. Yeah. I mean, and back in those days, they were spending like $150,000, $200,000 per album to make them. I mean, now they make them for twelve grand. you know. I mean, you but uh, uh, it was, um, you know. <laughs> Go ahead, unless it's if it's too hard of a topic, I'll change the topic. No, no, no. It's just I'm trying to th- put. <laughs> we re- we wanted the record deal so bad that we just lost sight of of our uh-huh. own selves. But we were we were in our twenties, man. Mm-hmm. You know, we were kids, and uh, when we were, it was a heady time. We were getting airplay all over. You know, we're selling cr- like crazy. You know, we were confused. You know, and maybe maybe a little drunk. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, and that's where the second parallel comes in, because right at the when you guys were 
I remember you in 77 and, and 78. Uh, um, that's when I started to play guitar, Greg Hansberry, producer. Um, mm-hmm. I started to play guitar, and my friend Doug played keyboards and banjo, and we were a little duo on campus that just entertained. Doug, on Ohio State campus? On Ohio State campus. What were you guys called? Uh, Doug and Dino. Doug and Dino. Uh, Where'd you play? <laughs> I, pl- I played guitar. But where Where did you play? IP Lounge. and the. Ah, I remember- yeah, remember the IP Lounge? Didn't Tom Ingham play up there too? Uh, he did. Yeah. He did. I uh, uh, played at the IP Lounge. We played at what is what it's now called the Thirsty Scholar. I think it used to be the Black Forest Inn. Yeah. On uh, on Lane Avenue, we started at the Black Forest Inn, and then we uh, moved over to the IP Lounge. And um, I think that's also what I credit giving me my first uh, bones in in kind of doing stand up comedy because we played music, but we also interacted with the crowd a lot, and 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 there was a lot of for lack of a better description, improv comedy mm-hmm. at the time, taking advantage of situations in the crowd and, and bringing the crowd into our performances. And we were very, very popular. We would pack the IP Lounge on Thursday nights. I mean, not to the success of, of McGuffey Lane, but Doug was, the, Doug was the musician. Doug was the musician. He was a brilliant keyboardist. He taught himself how to play the banjo well. You know, I was able to get by and, and play some chords on on the guitar. And if there was a song that was too difficult of a chord, I say we're not doing that one. <laughs> yeah, right. I, yeah. I, I can't pick I another can't, song. Yeah, I can't play that chord. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what was Doug's last name? Doug Hale. Doug Hale. Okay. And we he was also in the in that Greek band that I was in in high school. So we still wanted to make some music. So we just started to to hang out and, and do music. And we harmonized really well. We actually wrote some music you know, of our own back then and, and, and would do it on Thursday nights, you know. Yeah. Um, I, what was the one called? Taking a Chance on Loving You, which was, I, I think now you think about influences, I think because we love McGuffey Lane so much, I think there might have been a little bit of McGuffey Lane influence wow. into Taking a Chance on Loving You because it was kind of, Doug was playing the banjo on that one and uh, I was playing the guitar and it had a, a little bit of a country feel to it. That sounds like a great song title. Yeah. I like it. But I'm... I, I, Surprised we, we've never even talked about this before. No, I, I didn't realize that you were a McGuffey Lane fan back then. Oh, the dude, I got yeah. I have I, I have I have the the first album, uh, the actual album, mm-hmm. and I've got probably uh, I, I, almost all the CDs. I, I think I'm missing one. Well, tell uh, me which one, and I'll take care of you, man. Oh, you, know, you think so? You know somebody? <laughs> <laughs> so I can fill out the collection? Yeah. Um, but who listens to CDs anymore, though? I, mean, I do. You do? I Good. do. I still, you still listen, listen to vinyl, too? Oh, uh, more so vinyl. Yeah. Now, I listen to vinyl now more than ever, and so does apparently the rest of America. Apparently, they're 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 returning to the love of vinyl. I, we're thinking about going ahead. We, you know, I don't know if you noticed this on this CD, but if you look at the CD real close, the actual CD, it looks like a vinyl record. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Who did the, the artwork on that? That's pretty cool. Well, I had a guy, uh, Rick, his name is uh, uh, Rick Mock, that did, uh, and I worked with him, and I, I had certain ideas, and I found a um, an old Sinatra picture that I licensed, and uh, we, we removed Sinatra from it. It just had, that picture had the feel of. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's listen to a little bit. I, I want to, we picked one that we both identify with as far as Sinatra and the We Small Hours, but uh, you have one of my favorite Frank Sinatra songs on here. Uh, it's also in the movie the uh, the Pope of Greenwich Village mm. with Mickey Rourke yeah, and um, and uh, Eric Roberts when they're playing stickball in the street, and that's when you hear uh, Frank Sinatra singing "Summer Wind." Well, this is John Schwab's take on "Summer Wind." <laughs> Summer wind came blowing in 
across the sea It lingered there to touch your hair And walk with me All summer long we sang a song And strolled that golden sand Two sweethearts sang The summer wind That song makes me just feel good. Yeah, you know, yeah, it does. It's it, just, it's a... just, it, 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 it captures everything that you want. The summer wind came blowing in. That's a beautiful feeling. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful sentiment. That's a beautiful song. Nice job, man. That's oh, I love you. this CD. Thank you. I, I, I'm so I don't want, I don't want to, uh, uh, you know, not say I, I, I love it more than some of the other stuff that you do. But because you're combining two of them, I love your voice. You have a very distinctive voice. And the fact that you're singing some of these great songs, I just think it's the it's it's a, it's a magical blending of, of two worlds. So and bra- I noted right away that uh, that you kind of had like that fiddle draw right in. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's got that, that country yeah. kick still ha- to it. It, it love still it. has a little bit of the country yeah. kick to it, which leads me to my next question, my friend. Uh, how do you think and what do you think of what's considered country music today? Oh, well... Um, it's I probably not uh, well equipped enough to answer it because I, I can't listen to it. I I mean I <laughs> isn't I that hate, my answer? I hate to be. I mean I hate this, but I've tried to listen to it. And, uh, oh, like I've made a concerted effort a few times in the past few years to go. Okay, I'm gonna listen to the top twenty songs. Mm-hmm. And I I mean. I, how do I say this without pissing somebody off? You're not, I, well, you're not talking about any particular artist no, in general, but no, so. But just, I literally get not. I mean, I feel it. I I enjoy it so little, or or worse, that it, it makes me feel physically bad. Mm-hmm. But don't you think you're talented enough when you listen to what's playing as far as the top twenty in country music, and you listen to these songs? Don't you think that if you went into your studio, you could probably crank out something? Just right for any one of those artists. Well, you know, and I, and I did. I I went back in the um, mid '90s. I, I got real serious with my songwriting, and I had a publisher in Nashville, and uh, I had some really what I thought were the best I could do, the best songs I could write. You know, and I had a lot of luck with getting what's called holds, where like Trisha Yearwood had a hold, and Kenny Chesney had a hold, and. Uh, from what I was told from my publisher, I don't know if it's true or not, but my publisher told me that Kenny actually cut the song, and then they had 14 or 15 songs, and they were only going to use 12, and it got cut off. And uh, and then the Trisha Yearwood hold went away, and there were a couple other ones that were not so familiar mm-hmm. that, that were in hold but didn't get cut. I got some cuts from people you'd never heard of before, but basically... Uh, after that, I kind of came running back to Columbus with my tail between my legs and just went. Why, though? So, uh, I, well, actually, because I said, I think these songs are good. I'm going to record them. And that's when I went back to Columbus and, and I, I I, bought the name McGuffey Lane because the band had broken up a few years before right, that. Right, I remember that. And Because I, and, I had a guy that was going to, he loved the song. He said, let's release it as an album. We didn't want to release it unless it was a, a McGuffey Lane album. So I bought the name McGuffey Lane. And we released those songs on an album in 98. This was called Call Me Lucky. Call Me Lucky. Yeah. And uh, that's what I, so that's what I did. And then I just, you know, I said, I'm, I can write songs and, uh, that I like and I can record them myself. 
You know, I, I, I don't like the game down there. I don't like play. I don't, I'm not a real political guy, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of politics. Down I there. understand there's a lot of politics in it, but man, I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. They all want you to live there. They they, all, they want you to stay in Why? line. Why they want you to live there? I don't know. It's just that, that's what. If you're the, writing a song and it's a good song and you're sending it to Kenny Chesney or Trisha Yearwood or Luke Bryan or whoever's on top of the charts these days, what you you wrote the song? They're listening to the song. They're buying your music. Why do you have to live there? Well, you know, it, it was for the very first. If you're if you're a su- suspense writer and you can do it in your house and send it to your publisher in New York and they're still going to publish, you don't have to live in New York. I don't get it. I know. You have to go through it. Like we did, you know, our third and fourth McGuffey Land albums and and the Call Me Lucky and we recorded a lot of the stuff down there. But we when the third and fourth album were coming out in like eighty four and eighty five, around that, that era, we were down in that we actually had a residence there for the band. We had a big old farm because they all wanted you gotta live here, you gotta live here. That's just what they always say. They want you to live there, they want you to be Part of the community, I, I kind of get that a little bit, but I, all my gigs were up here. Right, I'd be like, you know, I'd be like you living in, uh, you know, living in Baltimore, but you're you're coming to do radio here every day. You know, I mean, it's it's. Yeah, I it, get what you're saying. You know. Yeah, I do. That. Yeah, if I lived here, I get it. I get it. But they they want you to stand. I get in it. Line. I, don't, I get it, but I don't understand it. Yeah. I'm, th- I'm, I'm, I know. I'm staring at you, and you're thinking, "What's he? What's he thinking about?" I'm thinking that I know this guy who writes this great music and performs it, and I just, you know, I, I know that there's still, there's still got to be some John Schwab music that's just perfect for somebody. And I know the lifestyle you like to lead now, man. You're at the, you're, you're, you're in my age. You like to kick back, and you like to perform for the sake of performing. You just love performing, and you know, it, it, it keeps, it, it gives you a, a, the life that, and keeps you in the life that style that you yeah. still enjoy. Oh, don't get me wrong. I, I I do it for the money too, but I mean, the main thing is I love it. That's the number one main thing is I love it. But, but I'm just saying that'd be like, then just, uh, just sell that one song, man. Yeah. Get that one song oh, sold to somebody. No and then, kidding, and then, and then, all, then all the traveling you do is to the mailbox, baby, and get man, the check. I, my buddy, uh, you know, uh, wrote uh, Amy, Craig, uh, right. you know, Craig Fuller. He, yeah, he basically hasn't really, you know, he, he went out he played with the, uh, with little feet for a while in the 90s and stuff, but he's, and now he plays with Triple once in a while. Pretty much, he just, you know, that's that's one of those in the triple million uh, plays, and that's, you know, he made, he, he made good well. money. He did well. His, yeah. his, he made his, his, uh, his gold plated walk to the mailbox. Yeah. And just, see, man, I see that for you. I, yeah, well, you know, and, and Paul Worley told me that Long Time Loving You would be a hit for somebody sometime, and, you know, I, I feel like calling him up and going, you know, you, Remember what you said, when you told me that? You know, watch, cut it with Lady Antebellum or something. I might do that. There's all that music, all that great McGuffey Lane music that's that's still out there that somebody needs to rediscover. I mean, people are doing it all the time. Yeah. They're taking songs that the of old and putting their own twist on them. Yeah. And let's face it, when it comes to a hit song, it's about the melody and then it's about the hook. And Long Time Loving You has had one of the best hooks uh, you know, of, of its time. It just, it, it stuck with you. It's the, so... Yeah, I mean, just I'm gonna that little song there, which which you know was you know I don't know top fifty pop, but look how far that's taken me. That song has taken me for forty years. I mean, that was 1980 when that song was a hit. Mm-hmm. What is this? Thirty seven years later, and they still play it because uh, McGuffey Lane still does about thirty to uh, what thirty shows a year. Well, we've got thirty eight on the books for this year already. For this year, and that's what I was gonna say. Also, why I keep playing is they keep calling me for gigs. <laughs> What's well, good that they keep calling. 
and uh, you do the Zacharias Red Eye reunion every year yeah. in January. Uh, I, I think, unless somebody's beaten you, I think you still hold the record for most people indoors at the LC as far as capacity, as far as capacity crowd, as much as they could hold without getting, you know, <laughs> the fire marshals in there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, but it was it like was... 2013. I think the record still holds. Really? Cool. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. That your fans... Uh, you know, keep coming back. For oh that my God! Like show. this uh, this year, the way you were, you said you were going to come down. I didn't, didn't make it didn't down. Make... I didn't make it down. But, I suck. Uh, the, this year, <laughs> I, I started off the show by going, "This is our seventeenth reunion of a bar that was only open for four years." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. When you can do reunion shows that last longer than the actual bar was open. Zacharias was only open for four yeah. years. Because we, you know, oh, we, man, we, you know, I must have drank a lot in college. Because it seemed like it was open a long, well, it long time. We started in eighty in seventy seven, and then we got we had our hit record in eighty. Uh huh. And by the time we we left, we were on the road. You know, when we after we left, it was, what about another year and a half or something? And you know, we covered you. Doug and Dino covered you. Long time loving. Oh yeah, we, we played that one. Oh man, well, you we played cr- that you one. Got a recording of that? Oh, I want to hear that, that, man. You know what? I was at home. I know that somebody sent me, um, uh, literally a cassette. And I was I was struggling to find the cassette. I was actually, I was actually going to bring in a cassette recorder and and play some, but I couldn't find it for the life of me. I know that there's some Doug and Dino tape out there somewhere. Oh, I want to hear that. If you find lost, it, you got to play it for there's me. There's some dude. lost tape out there somewhere. <laughs> the basement tape. <laughs> it is a basement tape. All right, uh, how's that? How's that? The single barrel. Do you oh, like it? Oh yeah, I love it, man. The Jack Daniel's single barrel. We try to educate you a little bit here on whiskey business as well. People always say, what's the difference between Jack Daniels Old 7 and the single barrel? Uh, it's made by the same process as as number 7, but it tends to be aged for around 6 years, 18 to 24 months longer than uh, regular Old 7. Mm. So that's, that's the whole deal. And uh, people say, what's a single barrel whiskey or a single cask whiskey? Each bottle uh, comes from an individual aging barrel instead of being... Uh, created by blending together the contents of various barrels. That's what they do with seven to provide uniformity. That's why Jack Daniel's seven tastes like Jack Daniel's seven. What you'll notice about a single barrel like like this Jack Daniel's is there's familiarity, but each one of those individual each one will be just a little, little bit different. So if you get a bottle of single barrel, people, uh, right at the top. Uh, where the cork is, there's a number, and it'll tell you what that barrel number is. Go back to your favorite liquor person and say, do you have any more bottles from this particular barrel? I really like this barrel. Is that 306? Is that what that is? This is uh, barrel 143128. Oh, well, I think that's a really good barrel. Yeah, it's a good barrel. Yeah. I you know I don't I, I don't drink brown drink, liquor much uh, well, anymore. Well, you're going to drink a little bit more right now. You know, I'm because, mostly a Buckeye vodka guy these uh, days. You know a, what I mean? Buckeye vodka. What is that? You ever had Buckeye vodka? I'm not a big vodka drinker. Oh, okay. So what is what is, is Buckeye it? vodka? Is a, a made. It's a small. Uh, I imagine here made in Ohio. It's or? made in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, I, I, uh, it's really good stuff, man. Is it really? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, you get a lot of it for free. <laughs> I was going to say we're looking for sponsors, Buckeye. I've, I've been working with them for a few years, but I mean, I, I really, really like it. It's good. We can't pay it, Johnny, but we can give you all the Buckeye vodka you want. Um, yeah, so you like the single barrel? It's good, right? Uh, like I said, if you wanted this one, or if you really wanted to spoil yourself, you could actually buy your own barrel. No, oh. if you had ten thousand to twelve thousand yeah. dollars, you can actually buy your own individual barrel, of Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, 
It's a lot yeah, of whiskey. I'll be dead in three months. <laughs> no, no. That's a, a barrel, I believe, has 50, 53 U.S. gallons, 200 liters per barrel, 1.75 liters per bottle, um, 100, about 114, 115 bottles uh, Jack out of that barrel. Come on. That'd take you more than three months, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! But so, but Frank drank the green label. You said Mm-hmm. he liked the green. That wow. was the that was the least aged of the Jacks. Yeah, but you probably saw more of the Jack Seven. But he was partial to the green. McGuffey Lane. Know. When McGuffey Lane was playing at Zacharias, we we all drank Jack Black. Mm-hmm. And we started in, in that first year. We started lining them up in the corner. Oh, there's a thing that went around the wall on the walls. You know, like a right. It was just like a little ledge. And uh, we started lining them up, you know, and by the time the first year was over, it was like surrounded, ooh, surrounded by it, man. You know, it was about Jack Daniels and country music. Yeah. They go together. They do. Well, they go together with other music, too. Yeah, but for some together. reason, you know, I, I can't. I've, I've probably heard half a dozen songs in the last year alone where somebody's throwing in Jack Daniels into the yeah. mix as far as a lyric. How, how do you like the, the new country music? You you like it? Or? I, 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 I listen to it and it. It doesn't seem. It seems like it's just crossed the the line. It's like it's it's so pop. It's so crossover. Like what you hear on a country station now, a new country music station could actually cross over into my station, which you know is 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 AC Adult Contemporary. So it seems like they just kind of blend in together. It seems like the melody's gone. It's just this cadence. Da 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 da. Yeah, yeah, and. and there's the a great, rap feel for sure. It's, it's some, some, it's, yeah, it. some some of the artists, some of the younger, newer artists are putting are putting a, a rap feel to some of it and trying to combine uh, styles and formats. And every once in a while, though, someone will come out with something that's kind of just pure and simple. Yeah, but I, I, I guarantee you, when McGuffey Lane came out, there was the guys that were older go, "They're putting that rock beat in that damn country music. Yeah. What, what the hell are they doing?" So I, you know, I'm just an old fogey now. So uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that country rock was. But when, yeah. when you were doing it, it was cool. America, if you like the Eagles. Yeah, as I like, say, the Eagles, no, seem, you know. the Eagles seem to do all right with it. Oh, man. The, it was cool that, when you know, were doing it. Those were the bands that, the Eagles, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, yeah, please. Uh, Poco, those were the bands that influenced, I mean, we're, we're all influenced by the Beatles. but Everybody's right. influenced by, by something or somebody. It's all that, as far as musical influences go, I think you unconsciously uh, absorb uh, music and mm-hmm. and and then when you release it in your own way, you're influenced by something. You may not even realize it. You might be the turn of a phrase and a lyric, or it might be the way uh, you, you know uh, you're writing a melody. But you're always influenced oh, by yeah. something that's coming to your life, be it music or uh, a moment or uh, a tragedy, Emotion, whatever the case yeah. might be. They're, you know, so we're always influenced by something. Um, and I imagine when we play this next little snippet here, Greg, because uh, we're almost out of time. Not quite out of time, but uh, we just poured a second one. You think this one will be uh, one for my baby and one for the road before we no. get to the end of it? We're not done yet, but I'm okay. saying, you know, how about, a, how about a little John Schwab singing that one, Greg? I'm going to talk over this one a little bit. It's quarter to three. Yeah. There's no one in the place. You've been there, Schwabby. You, you want me to talk? 
<laughs> You've been there, right? Oh, man. So set him up, I... Joe. Yeah. I got a little story you ought to know. Yeah, man, it's just the one guy at the piano and the one guy sitting across from me. Beautiful. We're drinking, my friend, to the end of a brief episode. The bartender's cleaning up. The chairs are on top of the table. Been there. Make it one for my baby and one more for the road. Oh, man. <laughs> you and I might go to a bar after this. You know that, right? <laughs> I know the routine. So put another nickel in that record machine. I'm feeling so bad. Joe, can't you make the music easy and sad? Man, you can hear the love in your voice for this music. Oh, thank you. I could tell you a lot, but you've got to be true to your code. Let's make it one for my baby. I gotta tell you, man, when, when, when I sent this over to you, I was like, because I know, I knew what a Sinatra guy right. you were, and I was like, if. He's going to hate it. Yeah, he's going to hate it. He's that's gonna what, hate exactly it. what I thought. Nah. And then, no. you know, when you told me that you really liked it and stuff. And yeah, you sent me a couple, and then uh, then you gave me the CD, and I, and I listened to it, all of it. No, man, I think it's I think it's great because it, it's, it's one thing where you're covering something just for the sake of covering it. But when you're covering certain Sinatra songs because you love the, the man and how he made his music, and, and you want to contribute something to that legacy— and you do it like you've done it. You can't. How, how are you gonna hate it? You gotta love it, man. You gotta love the love for Frank on that particular number. Um, how do people get this CD? By the way, I have it available on my website at uh, John Schwab or McGuffeyLane.com. Either one. But uh, I told you, I, my advice to you was that you should also get it on on a, on a satellite satellite yeah. radio. Seriously, Sinatra. Yeah, that, that was your advice to me I, to I, get I, them because I'm hearing people do covers of songs and I look at the artist I go I don't know that person and you know I might as well not know John Schwab yeah, right, singing right. on Seriously Sinatra that's Schwab S-C-H-W-A-B dot com John Schwab John Schwab dot com but Schwab sometimes people go how do you spell Schwab yeah. like Charles Schwab the discount broker uh huh I'm just John Schwab, and I'm a broke musician. Uh-huh. So. Schwab.com. We'll, we'll put a link on uh, whiskeybusinessshow.com. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely right. do all that, because people, this is this is good music. This is music that people need. To, see, this is why I, I know it sounds like I'm just sucking up to a guy that I just met, but I've known you for a lot of years. <laughs> oh, God, we've been with Hitting you with all this praise and all this love. I used to be on your show love. all the time, I'm back not, in the 90s. Let me just make it clear. I'm not sucking up to John Schwab. <laughs> I, I love this music. That's not a secret. And the fact that somebody put a new spin on it in, in, a, in a new CD makes me very excited. But, yet, but it's people like you who perform it, record it, and keep it out there. I think that's important. You know, there's different types and styles of music that never need to go away, that need somebody like you and now somebody after you and after me somebody younger than us coming up in their 20s and their 30s or maybe some kid in high school right now 
that's listening to Frank oh, Sinatra for oh, the man, first I, time and needs to carry it on, you know? Can I tell you about playing this for my grandson? Yeah. I, I, I didn't even play it for him. I, he's, he's 16 years old. And I, and I said, I had him in the car like four or five months ago. I said, you want to hear my new album? And, and I just thought he would, you know, okay, Grandpa. Sure, Grandpa. And, and his, I put it on, and, and in the first four bars, his face lit up like it was, so you couldn't fake it, you know? You right. couldn't fake this look. And he was like, he loves it so much, and he's 16 years old. And today, I was with him today, he said, listen to the song I downloaded. And it was some Sinatra song I'd never even heard before, something about Saturday night. Saturday, Saturday night, night is a sad, is the, is had, the favorite night of the week. I don't know how I missed that one, but he said, "Isn't that great, Grandpa?" I'm like, yeah, I like you know. Sinatra recorded more music than than we'll ever listen to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you're right. I'm amazed that I still hear uh, cuts from Frank. That wow, when did he do that? Right. You know, album after album after album. Not all of them great. Not no. all of them great. I got to be honest, but most of them great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the even the crappy stuff that you know he still sounds good on it I you know, know. Man, he did some cheesy stuff there and there was a little, little period where it was real got real uh uh like uh what do they call those novelty songs right you know it was there were some novelty songs in there but it was an interesting that uh you know i can't i can't remember what year it was but he was he was number one in the beatles at the height of their popularity for sinatra came out and topped the charts uh, at the height of the beatles popularity I mean, the man stayed in play yeah. in just about every decade yeah. doing something, you know, from thir- 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Did you, did you go see him at uh, Beulah Park in 90? I did not. I saw him down in Cincinnati, though. Oh, you did. Uh, with uh, Tom Dreesen was the comedian yeah. who was opening up the show. I saw him down in Cincinnati, and I remember thinking, man, this guy turned this huge place into this small, intimate room. I'm so disappointed I didn't go to that. I, I could have went to that show down there in, in 90 and— you know, that's when he came out with the duets album, like, like uh, right then. I think so. Year or I two think later. so. I mean, that, that's that just it's another decade. Right. He's, you know, the duets album came out, and, and I think he did two of them. And, uh, you know, the man just kept going. Sad day when he died. Yeah. I remember oh, yeah. when he died, I didn't know that he had died. I've told this story before on previous podcasts, but I found out uh, the next day at work and Clark Donnelly, our news director, was all like, dude, I'm so sorry. I go, about what? He goes, you didn't hear? And I said, no. He goes, Frank Sinatra died. And I said, oh, because we had a plan as to what would happen. Because I had introduced my friends to the Rat Pack and their music, Frank Sinatra, and we had a plan what to do on the day that Frank died, and we executed that plan. But what I found even more amazing was I didn't realize how much I had shared my love for Frank Sinatra on the air over Mm -hmm. the years. I got cards, letters of condolence, flowers, Candles, Frank Sinatra dolls were all sent to the station in sympathy of my loss. So I think yeah. I've done my part in and <laughs> and keeping the torch lit. Yes, for yes. for Mr. Sinatra and that music as well, all of it. Bobby yeah. Darren, like I said, Bobby Darren, Dean Martin, uh, Sammy, Vic Damone, Tony Bennett, who's still singing. Yeah. God bless him. Still, still just banging it off the walls. At uh, 90 years of age. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? What did, that, wasn't that birthday show great? Oh, it was awesome. Awesome. My, my old drummer played the drums on that show, man. It was, uh, you know, it was him playing the drums on the, on it. Really? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. See, I'm learning stuff all the time. And I also give you credit, we're going to wrap things up, by putting your own twist. Uh, I like the fact that you contributed some of your own music to this CD. 
And we're going to close things out with a little thing that John Schwab wrote uh, with a lot. Who's Dylan Christian? Dylan. Dylan Christian. Delin. You know Dylan. You don't know Dylan. Oh, he, he's a good friend of mine. He's a great performer. He lives down in Nashville now. Yeah. He always comes back and plays at the Zach's reunion. But could I, you got time to tell you a story Damn, about man. this Go song? Ahead. I was down in Nashville. I, I had a, I had a producer that I've been using for the last few, and, and we recorded the basic tracks together. Came up here and did the overdubs. I, I I like to work with him when I sing. So it was the day before I was going in to sing, "Shoe Baby," mm-hmm. which is the song you're getting ready to play. And I I had a, like a panic and anxiety attack. I'm going, what kind of idiot am I? I mean, all these great songs, and I'm putting one of my own songs on there. What? I, I, I'm an idiot, you know, and, and I, I went in, I said to the producer and engineer, what do you guys think about that thing of me putting the one original on there, you know, and they, they both looked at each other, the producer went, which, which one's the original? Mm-hmm. You know, they thought, they thought it was just another lost Sinatra another song. Another lost Sinatra song, there like, you go. Okay. All right. Never mind. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Let's record. Uh, it's a great song. It's called Shoe Baby, and it definitely fits into the mode of One More for the Road from John Schwab. The first time I met you, I wouldn't have bet you'd still be sitting by my side. I've turned you away, then I begged you to stay When you did, I just wanted to hide I looked in your eyes, and I realized I'd never look away Bells started ringing, Cupid was singing He sounded like Mel Tomei One more for the road. Our guest has been the incomparable John Schwab. Quick question. If you couldn't make music, what would you have done with your oh, life? Oh, man. Well, number one, I'd probably still be a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't play guitar. <laughs> man, I got no idea, man. Listen to the lyrics of the last, this next verse. Have you uh-huh. listened to them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If I could return to the day we met. 
Delaine Christian. So many years ago, I would relearn things I'll never forget. All those things you already know. I come home early, cause I stayed out late. I'm sorry is all I can say. Can't stop staring at those clothes you ain't wearing. <laughs> I think I hear melt on me. I love that line. Shoe baby, shoe baby, shoe baby, shoe means I love you with all my heart. Shoe baby, shoe baby, shoe baby, I knew from the start. guest has been John Schwab. Man, it's been a pleasure. Oh, been fun, man. Been a real that, pleasure. That's, that's a quick hour or whatever it was. Yeah, I don't even know how long no, it was, either. but that's the beautiful thing about this. Check out the CD. Hey, people, you're smart. You you know, you found us on the internet. You can find this music as well So <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah. it, when it's available. Get online to McGuffeyLane.com or JohnSchwab.com and get one more for the road and uh, play it. You'll love it. Oh, thank, thank you, you brother, man. man. It's thank been a lot you of fun. so much, man. We learned a little bit more about each other. Yeah, even, sure though, did, even, though we, even though we see each other on a regular basis, sitting in a bar, whatever the case might be, I think we both... Uh, yeah, ain't that crazy? It's yeah, nuts. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you, man, what happens with a good pour. Yeah, You get right. a good pour and a good hour, and you'll find some shit out you about got people. A, you've got a great combination. <laughs> this is a great recipe for success. <laughs> yeah, success. Yes. No, oh, no, don't you dare say success. We want to ruin it. I don't want to... <laughs> success i i'm only good with mediocrity <laughs> uh speaking of which i gotta say the following things before we close it up uh whiskey business is a never the luck production recorded in the uh in the or with the cooperation of the columbus radio group all the opinions are those of uh, your host me and my reluctant guests and are never meant to offend only to inform and entertain so my good friends until the next bottle. Mm-hmm. See you. Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on.